I've been, okay, so I've, I've been given an opportunity to share um, in front of you guys this morning, um, thanks to Andrew, but there's a few things that he would he wanted me to talk about, and I've, if you haven't um, seen me in the last few months, it's because I've been away in the States um, as an intern at a church. Um, I've got a few, I'm going to give a little bit of a, um, a few pictures, and I've got a few different things that I can um, show you guys from as to what's um, been happening while I was over there. Um, so it's in a Native American um, reservation, and by Native American I mean Indian, like in a teepee kind of thing, and that's literally where I slept for three months. Um, it was it was an awesome time. I I think I went between the Philippines with Richard and 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 um, three months in here as well. I think I went almost about four months without sleeping on a like in a bed, and um and it was it's just been it was just such an amazing time. It was um. Obviously, summer over there. Um, it's kind of tough coming back to this kind of weather, but um, pretty much my my heart today is just to give you guys a rundown on what I was doing, just uh, first of all, and then I also want to kind of share my heart as to what God's been teaching me, the stuff that I saw over there, um, and the, the, just the things that I felt like He would want to give, hopefully, to encourage you guys in. I don't really want to... My, my hope is that I can encourage you guys in stuff that you already know, not to come at anybody or to any or anything like that but just to encourage you and stuff that god's already doing here um so in a tp that's kind of the area or at least the the look from the church that's the view which absolutely blew me away like that that shot right there is just one of my favorites it's pretty dry as you can see um at least in the summertime it, it buckets down snow in the winter but um, really dry and just like a valley on either side of that of the flat ground there, and it's just most amazing stuff to look at. I was an intern um, in a work site, so me and 16 other um, interns would be doing things like painting houses, roofing houses, um, working with kids, um, uh, what other kind of stuff, just a whole bunch of different things throughout the day. I was uh, specifically um, on a roof. That was my job as a, as a work site crew to to um, help people or lead a team of people, um, up to maybe 14 or 15 people on a roof, changing what's called shingles. I, I wasn't very familiar with what shingles were when I went over there. For me, sh shingles is a skin condition, not a roofing material. So I didn't really know um, what shingles were at first, but um, it kind of took me a few weeks to learn, first of all, how to replace old shingles and then put on new ones. Um, but that was my job, and there would be someone underneath this possibly as well painting the house, um, another group of people maybe cleaning up rubbish around the house, um, all this kind of stuff. And the homes that we were working on were, most of the time, Native American homes, people who were in the community and badly needed help. If you have a look at the situation over there, they're in quite a rut, as far whether it's financially, um, you know, all these different kinds of things. Unfortunately, it's very similar to a lot of issues that we face with our indigenous folks um between drink driving abusing drugs abusing alcohol all kinds of abuse and neglect if you look at the kids alone um i mean the church in itself is i think it averages um the age the average age in the church is about 11 years old and and it's a church probably about the size of ours and it's probably it's predominantly because the 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 life expectancy for for a male in native american um culture is is not even over 40 it's about 39 for a male that's his life expectancy and so we would, we'd be going into homes um fixing roofs painting houses and we'd get to clean up rubbish and it was just the most reward rewarding stuff 
to get to to get to do all that. Um, and pretty much the point of me going and, and other people going around around the United States is they go in with money. Um, they pay. It sounds crazy, but they pay to work, and then they um and then pretty much the homes or the people that live in those homes don't have to pay anything, and they just get blessed by having a brand new roof or new a new paint job or whatever on the house and that kind of thing. Um, Another major, major part of my trip there was working with kids. Um, most of the time in um, what's called a, um, it's called Adam's View. It's like, a, it's like a little housing community where the government's kind of set up homes. Um, and and um, there's a park there and a, and a playground where the church comes in. Um, church comes in on a, on a bus. Um, they pick up kids around the community because often mum and dad aren't home. A lot of the time, mum and dad are out uh, gambling. That's if dad's even around. And then, um, or they're not interested. Though I heard stories, all kinds of crazy stories about um, first uh, uh, mum having a first child and not knowing what to do or not knowing how to deal with a kid and at times leaving, leaving an infant in the corner of the room and just kind of leaving the kid there for hours upon end just not because, A, she's, she's dealing with her own addiction problems. She doesn't, the kid's not a priority the kids in a lot of the situations grow up with neglect and you can just see it just the way that the kids they'll be wearing the same clothes for a week two weeks they'll be um nappies you know uh often just dry and just kind of like old and no one's changing them though if i saw kids with blood noses who had dry blood all over their face because no one's there to clean them up and they're just walking around the community and and the housing area where no one's kind of looking after them or anything like that. And the church will come in and, and change nappies and wipe faces and, and put new clothes on them and all of this kind of stuff. And they call the kids call the bus. When the church comes in on the bus and there's people on the bus, the kids scream, they come running up to the to the bus and they're like, here's the church. Like that's their that's the catchphrase is here comes the church. When they see the bus moving not not in the building itself, but here comes the church when they're out there in the park and in that playground. And the kids, they've, got a, they've made a T-shirt out of it. They've got a bus, and, and underneath it says, here comes the church. And so um, that's, that was one of my favorite things was being with the kids. And one thing that, um, that I learned, a, a big kind of significant um, thing, that, a few things that I learned when I was there was, well, when you spend time with kids, you tend to learn a lot of things about how God sees you, right? Anyone who's in kids' ministry um, or any parents or whatever, um, you get a really good concept of a father and a son or a daughter. And, and we spent that much time with, with kids that I couldn't help but just see how God sees these kids and, and, and it can only reflect on how God sees me. Um, but we would come in as the church in the afternoon um, with a bus and with kids on the bus and they'd run and scream because um, they love to be at church. No one's driving them to church. The bus is coming to pick them up because no one's there. No one's going to take them there, but the kids love to be there and it's... It's, um, it's amazing to see the kids find church as a safe place, a place where they can just be children. They don't have to, um, they don't have to worry about who's, who's going to abuse them. They don't have to worry about all that kind of stuff. It's just a safe place. And so um, we'd come in on the bus and we'd, we'd bring crafts and games and toys and we'd go to the playground. We'd do a drama or a role play where we would, um, um, we would learn Bible stories, go from, might even start from Genesis all the way through to the cross and that kind of thing and just teach the kids. And if you listen to the kids, they have a really solid foundation, even though, even though it's, it's still kind of foreign at, at times. They still, um, a lot of the kids are learning really quickly and, 
and coming to know Christ, and it's just incredible. But one one boy that I wanted to share with you guys, well, his name's Dominic. Um, he's about six years old, and I got so close with this boy. Um, I really learned a lot about, because I got so close, I really learned a lot about what it means to be a father, or not that he's my kid, but what it looks like to be a dad and what it looks like to essentially be God in that position and and where we where I how I would prefer to see Dominic and and what I would prefer to kind of see him doing um when we're in in the playground or whatever um and it was kind of God was teaching me that this is how this is the kind of life and I'll explain in a second that um that he wants us he wants to have for us so the church has been around for about 13, 14 years in this community. And so most of the kids that you talk to have got a foundation. They know, they know how to be held by someone without freaking out. When they first, the church first came, kids had a really hard time being held or hugged. Um, anything like that would cause them to step back and just freak out a little bit. And, um, but 13 years on, the youth group now is just crazy. It's like 80 to, 80 to 100 kids. Um, and, and so many of them changed by what the church has done starting 13 years ago, moving up till now. But one thing that I learned, well, one big lesson that I learned was be, through Dominic, because he essentially was, he's young, obviously, and he hadn't actually been through kids club, what we call kids club before. He was brand new. He'd never been, he had not associated himself at all with anyone from the church. And he'd never kind of been taught things or learnt um, much of this stuff, he hadn't really been held all that much. He had an older sister as well, who um, she'd been coming along, but and she was about thirteen or fourteen, um, and and pretty much um, I started spending a lot of time with him. He um, he <clears throat> when he first came had a real had a re- had real issues with clinging to clinging to people. He would um, he. Once, once, I, once I'd first kind of stepped out and, and, and interacted with him, he grew closer to me and started testing me every now and then to see if I was still going to hang around. Like the first day, at the end of the first day, when I really, um, when I, you know, I'd be giving him piggyback rides all the time and things like that. At the end of the first day when the church, we had to leave, he just cried and cried and cried just for five to ten minutes because I told him I had to go. And he, he could not deal with that. And most of the time, when I, because I would tell him it's all right, I'm coming back tomorrow. It's fine. You don't have to cry. But he didn't. He didn't understand that. When I, even if I promised him, it didn't mean much because he's so used to having people break promises just like that. And so he would just cry and cry and cry, and he'd want to be around me um, so much. And at the same time, if I somehow disappointed him or if someone else disappointed him, he would kind of pull back and freak out. And and another big thing was um, his older sister, who um, 13 or 14 years old. She at times would kind of approach him and he was kind of like a rag doll to her. She would um, push him around and slap him and kind of just kind of beat around him every now and then just because she's the older sister and got the authority and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and that really kind of messes with him because he's, he loves her and he's constantly like, and her name's Jordan, he's constantly just like, where's Jordan, where's Jordan? But then when she does come, he's having to hold on to my leg because he doesn't know what she's going to do to him. And so he's got this issue of like constantly coming back to me and testing me to see if I'm going to keep her off of him or all this kind of stuff. Um, but one thing, God really spoke to me through him because after one week, he got so close to me, he'd run up to me at the, at the beginning of the day with his arms out and want, to, want a big hug and he'd, he'd call out, map, map, 
because he couldn't say Matt, he would just say map. But um, he <laughs> pretty much, it's, it, after just one week, he would have his arms out and he'd want to, want to hug and be held instantly. By the end of, um, by the, end of um, the trip or the end of the summer, towards the end of the summer, he, didn't, he wasn't constantly coming to me all the time for, um, like, his sister would still be kind of messing around with him and he wouldn't, he wouldn't cling to me, he would just kind of go off and do his thing. He would go play with the kids and at the beginning he would have a hard time playing with other kids because I wasn't there. I had, I had other things to attend to and he would try and, he want to be playing this game and Map has to come with him so that he can do it. But he just couldn't, there was no, like, there was no separation at all. If I wasn't there, he wasn't okay. And it was this, he was constantly testing me to see if I would care about him, if I would keep coming back the next day and if I would show him that I do actually care for him all the time came towards the end and he was a little less like that. He was able to be with the kids, able to spend time with his friends. And, um, <clears throat> and, that, and things started, I noticed the changes in him that he wasn't having to cling to me just for affirmation or for confirmation that I cared for him. And it, I started to listen to the way things, that, the way that God sees us and the way, that he, the way that he wants us and the way he's wired us to walk a Christian life. Because I'd, it just comes natural that when things get tough, we go to God because things get tough. When, when I'm dealing with an issue or something around me, the situation around me gets tough, my instant reaction is, based or, or in light of this problem, I'm going to talk to God. In light of this issue or in light of my own issues maybe, I'm going to go and talk to God and, and be with Him. Instead of coming to God because... I had fun today, or coming to God because of how amazing He is, and coming and not, not having to come back to Him just to uh, to confirm, do you really love me? Or coming back to Him to affirm, are you really going to be here tomorrow? Do you really care about me tomorrow? Still, all of this stuff started running through my mind. Is that this is what the church is supposed to be? We're supposed to be. Can we go to before we um? I got another photo that I think I forgot about. I just wanted to put that one in there just because it, I thought it was funny. It's a shame that Chris isn't here, but anyway, can we um? Can we go to um, 1 John, sorry, John 4, um, just a lovely photo, that one. Check this out. So this is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, right? He says, um, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never be never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he's talking about someone that's not thirsty at all. Once you've drank of that water, then all of a sudden I don't need to drink anymore at all. Once I've, once I've confirmed in myself that God loves me, and no matter what my thoughts tell me, no matter what's going on up in here, if I know that Scripture says that he loves me, I shouldn't need to question him. Things around me shouldn't have to just determine whether or not God loves me. If his word says that he loves me, then that's enough. The, like the whole point of the cross is for that exactly, right? It's for that. If, if he doesn't, if it's not the cross that shows enough that I'm loved, then I'm missing something. I'm, I'm listening to too much of these thoughts going on in my head that question that instead of, instead of coming to him, thanking him for it. So if you listen to this, if, if, I'm supposed to be, if I'm supposed to have a spring of water welling up to eternal life, that doesn't sound like a thirsty person. That sounds like someone who has drank the water once and that's all that they need. They're then able to step out and go about their life and do the things that Christians do based on that water that they've drank. 
I gave I got a really cool picture um, um, that God showed me of the the average kind of walk or at least the walk that I used to be in um, for a few years. If you can imagine me with like a bungee cord wrapped around my waist and if I kind of, if I'm like, if the other end of that bungee cord is attached to the wall, that a lot, this is the way I used to walk. If that bungee cord was attached to the wall and it was wrapped around my waist, I would go about one day just trying to stretch out as far as I can get it to the point where I slip and I just slide back to the wall again. And I didn't go back to the wall, notice that because the wall's so great, I went back to the wall because I slipped. And I, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm on, a, on, a, on a relationship with God where the only time I'm talking with him is because of how rough my day was. Like, what if we didn't go to God to heal our hearts because of a broken situation, but we went to God to hear his heart for the broken situation, right? So all of this stuff started coming into my mind. I'm not saying that we're not supposed to approach God and then we're not supposed to come to him because of, a situa- because of something wrong's uh, happened, I'm saying that if we need to come to God just because of my own mess, then I've missed the point of, of repentance. Repentance is if I mess up, I stand before the Father and I thank Him. And I and honestly, if I've messed up, I stand before Him. I declare to Him that that junk that I've just done is not the way that I'm created. I'm not meant for it. I stand before Him. I thank Him that He's brought me out of that junk and that's no longer who I am. And I thank you, Father, that you've, you've redeemed me from that and you've already put me in a place where I get to walk like you and look like you on a constant basis. It's, it's, it's one of these things that God's been teaching me that repentance is, has less to do with my mess and more to do with his redemption that allows me to walk out what I'm supposed to walk out. If I'm sitting, if I'm constantly having to come back to him because of my mess, notice that the relationship is only on the basis of how bad I am rather than coming before the Father because of his goodness and because of what he's actually done for me and through me and out of me. And I just can't, and like, and that is just con- consuming me to the point where I go, where we go to work, and no matter what the boss says, no matter what my coworkers do or say or whatever, has no effect on a relationship that I have with him. And out of this relationship that I have with him, I get to go and share it on them, despite what they say, despite what's going on around me. I did so I, when I I've been working at the bakery now for over over a year. I can't remember how long it is, and it's a shame none of the guys are actually here. I had when I when I'd started there not too long ago. I I uh, shared. I I just need to share stories with my with my friends working there um, about healings or what God's doing on the street, all this kind of stuff. If you haven't heard any stories about what God does on the street or in homes or whatever, as far as healing, then hopefully I'll get a chance to share some of them with you. But um, one guy in particular is hearing all these stories about what Matt does. <laughs> And how Matt, because there's um, about, for example, I'd be out one night. Um, I remember being out after young adults at about 11.30. Because young adults goes a little too late sometimes. But um, we were out till dark. I can't remember what it was. We were just in church. And, and I remember driving out of church. Um, <laughs> I remember driving out of church and, and being uh, just driving down the road. And it was really dark. And there's this one guy with uh, a bottle of American honey walking down the street. And he, did, he wasn't, I, don't, I couldn't tell you that he, if he was drunk or not. All I know is that he was holding alcohol and that was that was he was just walking down the street and I've got this really random conviction like oh, I could go I could go pray for him I really just want to talk with him and pray with him right now and so I pull I, I pull over the car late at night and most most of the time this is what I used to if I did that I would have just like my old life would have been freaking out in that car just going oh, what's gonna go on like what am I doing but I'm like consumed by this and the fact that he's 
he needs more help than anyone else around me right then. I, I pull the car over. I go approach this guy. I think his name was Trevor. Um, I get talking to him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize this really quickly. But I started talking to him about, hey, man, this is going to sound nuts, but can I pray for you? And he's looking at me sideways <laughs> like, what do you mean? And he's re- really on the edge because it's almost midnight and, and I just pulled over my car and wanted to pray for him. So he's probably freaking out. But um, essentially, he wanted to know what my problem was. And, and I said, I said, um, I really, this is going to sound nuts, but I want to pray for you. And, and I'm feeling in my heart that God wants to do something for you. And he's like, he says to me, well, so I suppose you think you're some kind of messenger from God, do you? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess so. We can call it what you want. All I know is that I just want to pray for you. And he starts sharing his story with me about how, about how his dad died a certain number of years ago and today is that anniversary. He's just found out that his kids have been abused on whatever kind of level. And he's, um, he's essentially, he's, this is a very bad day for him. And, and I started sharing about how what's the, will of, what's the will of God and what's not the will of God and he, how he's thought in his mind that this is what God wants to me just because this is what's happened. And so after five minutes of, of him just kind of talking, talking at me, telling me how wrong I am that I even want to pray for him, I'm, kind of, I'm just sitting there just trying to, I'm not trying to push anything on him. I'm just trying to be his friend. He, after five minutes, he just goes, he just, he lets out everything he's got and then he just goes, Whew all right, whatever, you can pray, that's fine. And I'm just kind of like, I'm like, all right, man, I don't want to do my, I just want to pray, that's it. And he goes, yep, fine, whatever. And um, so he's just kind of like arms folded and <clears throat> um, and this kind of thing. He doesn't really want to be there in that moment, but I, all I know is that I want to pray for him. And so um, I walk up to him, I say, can I put my hand on your shoulder? And he's like, yeah. I, so I do that, just, and I'm, I'm just praying for him really quickly. It wasn't anything big at first. Um, and essentially, um, <clears throat> I, start, I start talking to this guy and praying over him. And I start to see this thing of him being a child as like a, real, a kid with a lot of potential and a lot of just love and life inside of him. And I'm sharing this with him. As I'm doing this, he's just still, you know, kind of looking like this, nothing really special. And um, <clears throat> anyway, I start asking Holy Spirit just to minister to him and just speak into him because the Holy Spirit knows him better than I do. And so, essentially, he, um, he gets up, he kind of looks up and after I've finished the prayer, and I've just been talking to him about who God is and what God really says about him. And he looks up and he's like, I don't know what to think in this moment. He looks up and he goes, you know, I don't know what you just said, but I think I believe everything that you're talking about. I'm like, because I'm sitting there, I go, really? <laughs> I don't... Because I, I couldn't even remember what I prayed in that moment. It just kind of came out. And he started all this stuff. He just, he just went just from head to toe. Everything about his tone just changed in that moment. And long story short, we, I ended up hugging this guy. I ended up driving him home. And, and um, it just was amazing. He just had this brand new idea of who God was all of a sudden. He didn't, he didn't, I didn't convert the guy. Like I just planted seeds. He pretty, much was, he pretty much had this brand new concept of who God was. And so... I share stories like that going back to my workplace. I, go, I share stories like that to people at work. And, and my friend, there's one guy at work, um, I'll be sharing that with him, and he thinks I'm a total freak, um, a Jesus freak. And he's, um, he's, he's pretty much, um, 
he doesn't know how to take. He's he's really nice to talk to, but once I'm gone, he's he's constantly talking about what the heck is Matt doing? What's his problem? Um, but at the same time, I'm not I'm not sitting there thinking, why would he do that? Like, why does he need to talk to me like that or talk about me like that? And what's 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 the deal? Like, I'm trying to be nice to this guy. If I've got that if I've got that water that it, that that water welling up to eternal life, it means that I don't need to go back to the Father to get you know, affirmation, because I don't, I already know that he's affirming me. I don't need to wait on this friend at work to get my affirmation. Everything that I am comes from him. And so, and so um, he's saying all this stuff and, um, <clears throat> and I'm just sitting there just thinking, man, this, this is fun because I'm getting all of this, in, I'm getting, I'm downloading all of this information at the same time about this guy at work. He's, he's this, he's an amazing guy and he, um, I'm starting as he's uh, he might be back chatting or or back you know just talking behind my back all the time but I'm I'm getting I'm getting downloaded information about this guy's destiny and this guy's purpose as he's doing all of this and um and so pretty much <laughs> pretty much as he's doing all this stuff I get I get this information that he wants to be like a like a life coach he wants to be someone that wants to bless that wants to help people out financially um and physically and like spiritually and just and, and through diet and everything, I'm getting this information. This is, this is what he wants to do with himself. And he, um, I, got to, I got to approach him about this and I said, listen, man, I've, I've got this crazy information for you. I don't know if this makes sense. If it doesn't, that's fine. But I'm hearing in my heart that God, God's telling me that you want, this is, this is what you want. You want to be a life coach. You want to bless people in this way, this way, and this way. And that you've got a huge heart for people that are struggling in these areas. And he, um, <laughs> he's so proud he doesn't know how to take it. He's like, he's, you know that, you know that smile where, you, where you know, you're trying, you're really trying to hold it back, and and you, this like, because I'm I'm speaking so much truth and he's trying to hold it back. He's like, yeah, like doesn't know how to express, but everything that Matt's talking about makes so much sense that he's just getting excited and he doesn't know what to do with it, and like, but at the same time, Matt's crazy, so why would I need to listen to Matt? He's just he's he's gonna get himself killed one day because he's constantly out on the street praying for people at 11 o'clock at night. So he doesn't know how to take it, but at the same, all he knows in that moment is that Matt, the God that Matt is talking about, knows me. That's all that he knows in that moment. He's not. He's not sitting there going, "Have you been reading my mail? You know, have you been checking me out? All this kind of stuff." He's sitting there because he said to me, "You understand, Matt." After a while, he kind of caved. He goes, "I've told that to one person in my life before. That's it. I haven't. I haven't mentioned that to anybody." And and he's like, at the end of it, he's kind of like, "No, thank you. That was." It's actually really amazing, and he kind of doesn't know how to deal with it. But essentially, I go now because I head off to the states after that, and he's he gets talking to my friend Liam, and he's like, he comes up to Liam, and he's kind of like, so Matt told me this stuff or whatever, and and he goes, either either Matt is really really observant, or he's actually onto something. And this guy doesn't he's, he's a total atheist. He doesn't he doesn't. He doesn't have his own. He doesn't have his own faith of any sort. He's got this basic. He's got this idea that God's the, the fact that God exists is a joke. And I could come in and I could come in and tell him how wrong he is and the fact that he needs a savior and all this kind of stuff, or I could, or all I could acknowledge the fact that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. If I approach him on that level, then how much more is he going to be able to relate to me and actually come to terms with the stuff that I'm talking about? It's amazing how when you approach people on that level, that everything, that there is no fear in that. I don't have to fear the fact that he's got this 
twisted theology of what life is and all this kind of stuff. There's no fear in the fact that God loves him. All this stuff just goes, it's just like consuming me. And, and what, the, what that looks like in a workplace is so much, it's just so much better than, than having to go to work, hoping that I'll get it right today. The boss says something that's just kind of a little bit offensive. And so I get attacked and then I kind of go back to God like a bungee cord, back to the wall again and, and, and tell him about how rough my day was and, and all this kind of stuff. There's usually three, roughly about three responses that we go through when something like this happens. The first one is, and this is, this is a big one, if something like that happens, or let's say, let's say my house burnt down, someone's, let's, someone's dealing with cancer, someone's said something terrible to me and I got fired today or whatever. I, there's, there's three typical kind of responses. The first one is normally go, go to God and say, God, are you, like, are you even real? Like, I don't think I even want to spend time with you anymore. This is a waste of time. I've been serving you for how many years now? The least you could do is keep my job, you know, and then just kind of leave the full deal because, because things didn't work out. And, and all of a sudden, the, per- the reason that that person came to God in the first place was probably to get something from him instead of actually going to him for his own heart to change me and make eternal life inside of me. Second response is go to God like the bungee cord and constantly just, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. Like, and I'm not saying that we don't go to God for help. We obviously do that. But there's a place in, a, in our lives where we can be so consumed by by God and, and by his, his love and the righteousness that he's landed on me that I just instantly just let out the fruit of the Spirit, instantly. So instead of having to do that bungee cord stuff where I'm constantly going back to God just on the basis that I slipped or just on the basis that some, something wrong happened, I, go to, I, need to be, I need to be going to God based on how good he is and how much holiness he's landed on me rather than me having to earn my way into something and get his approval or anything like that. The third response is to immediately actually let out the fruit of the Spirit. When something wrong happens, not going to God because my heart's broken, but going to him for his heart in that place. It's, it all comes down to how we see the Father and what he expects of his kids. You can imagine him kind of, and if you listen to this guy named Todd White, he, he, this is a vision that he paints when, when he's talking about things going wrong in a Christian life. He imagines God like kind of sitting on the throne when things go wrong. And then instead of us having to go to the Father because things are messed up, when we do get to him, he, he's sitting on the throne. He kind of leans forward, looks at his kid, and he just goes, what are you going to do about it? Like, I'm already inside of you. You're already, we're already one. What are, you, what are we going to do? What are you going to do about the fact that there's a bad situation here? You can reflect my image right now. Or you can come to me and just groan about it. It's amazing how that how things change when we just when when we get to know what the fruit of the spirit is, and we start to let all this stuff out. And I'm talking about every. Notice how when we do that and the fruit comes out instantly, that everything gives glory to God. Like God just gets glory out of that, not because I'm sitting around with the pulpit, sorry, with the with the picket sign saying like I'm a Christian. Everything about what I say and do just is in reflection of how good he is and, and what he's really like. So, like, I've got this really big heart for people. Like, notice that a lot of the things that I talk about kind of are focused towards outreach and, 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 hitting and reaching people that don't know the gospel and that kind of thing. I've got a really big heart for using... If you, we've all been given love languages in different areas that we're good at blessing people in. Some of us are good at cooking, good at affirming people, hugging. I don't, can't remember what the other things are. 
But essentially, you've got these gifts and you've got this language. I've got a really, I've just got, I have, I, I see like pictures every now and then of like, imagine like blessing someone with food, like randomly, spontaneously, just like out of the blue, like giving someone a meal. I think we're talking about like at young adults, the, if you've got a neighbor who's got issues or whatever, imagine just kind of coming up to them with scones. I don't know, Eric's really good with scones. And, and just kind of randomly, randomly blessing them with that. And, and, and seeing what that looks like and see how they respond. And just kind of on the basis of, hey, man, God, I feel like I felt in my heart that God just wanted to bless you. Can I give this to you? And, and essentially, how, see how much glory that gives God without you having to preach to them. It's just like, God, I just felt this in my heart. Not only does that bless them, but that then sparks a conversation as to what do you mean God convicted you for this? What do you mean? And it doesn't have to be a thing of like, because sometimes we're worrying about stealing the glory from God. Like, um, like I can't do anything good, you know. If I, if I play the drums well and someone goes, well done on the drums, Matt. And I just like, I'm, I sit there and I go, no, 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 it was God. You know, he did it all. Or if I cook someone the scones and I go, hey, man, you know, thanks for the scones. No, 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 Jesus cooked the scones, man. Like, do you understand how weird that sounds? Like, we don't have to worry about stealing God's glory He's giving it to us. Where if, can we go to um, John, John seventeen? Thanks, Laura. It's coming. Um, we don't have to go to him on a basis. Oh, sorry, we don't have to worry about stealing his glory. If I'm, do you imagine the kind of father that he is? Right. He's. I'll read this out. After Jesus said this. So this is that prayer that he's praying over, over, um, yeah, sorry, I think about that. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come, glorify your son. <coughs> uh, glorify your son, yeah, for, he, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give it, that, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given, you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Pretty much in that prayer, and if, and if you notice in that prayer, when you go through John 17 and see that prayer, that Jesus is actually giving glory to his kids and to the disciples and that kind of thing. We don't have to worry about stealing it um, from God. We just live a life that is so, at, so one with him that everything just automatically goes to him. I don't have to sit there and worry about stealing it. If I'm, if I'm at the cricket pitch, if I'm a cricket player and, and the ball is running down the pitch, he like bowls a really fast ball and I absolutely smack it four, six runs, it goes over the fence. How I imagine God in that moment is, is him sitting there screaming at the top of his lungs going, that's my kid. He's nudging the guy next to him. He's like, whose kid is that? Like constantly just like, that's my kid. Instantly, instantly everything that I do just goes straight to him because I reflect his image. People know, if you talk to people at my work, pretty much there's not many things that they know about me because they don't, they, don't, they don't want to know many other things about me. But most of the things they associate with me is just Jesus. Not because I'm there to preach at them, just because it's just the fruit that comes out when I, when I understand that, that God's with me and, and I'm actually, He's actually made me holy. And I don't have to earn my holiness. Right? We can't afford to be on a struggle to get holy. We, ha- we're, we're allowed to, we're, we can be on a journey to discover our holiness that's been given to us, not a journey to get holy. Everything about my workplace, school, friends, whatever, take your pick, it's, it's, it's all on the basis of I've been made holy and now the fruit of the Spirit gets to come out. But Jesus makes these commands like, 
like heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the leper and all this kind of stuff. If you read Matthew 10, 8 and 9, he talks about re- raising the dead and cleansing lepers and, and all that kind of stuff. Luke, Luke 10, 9, he does the same thing. He heals. It does not, when, you, when I read Luke 10, 9 and Matthew 10 and that kind of stuff, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. doesn't even say, pray to heal the sick and pray that the lepers will be cleansed. He says, heal them. So he's given us a command that I can't do. I can't physically get rid of someone's leprosy. I can't get rid of cancer. Why would he give me a commandment that is so far from what I'm able to do, right? It doesn't make sense. The truth is he's not just speaking to, he's not just giving me a pos, an impossible um, commandment. He's actually talking to a oneness and a level that's so impossible that I'm already engaging in impossible things. I'm so at one with God and there's so much oneness that he's speaking to a unity and he's speaking to a partnership that I have with God, not just speaking to some wretched sinner to go and do this thing that they'll never be able to do. There's a unity with the Father that he's talking about and that, that everything that I do really should be the way that he intended for it and it's through him and with him. All this stuff, all this stuff is just fruit of the Spirit and it's absolutely incredible. And because I could talk about this all day, but the truth is if we don't, we, we need to know where, how does this happen? How do I get... How do I have this and where does this come from? Because if I'm, it comes out of a place of knowing, knowing that he first loved me, right? So when I'm with Dominic, I approached him first. I was the one that actually engaged in him first and there's nothing that he could have done that would have changed my mind as to what God says about him, right? If, I, if I'm having to work for, like if I'm having to do things for God to, to, to gain my whatever from him, or if I'm just doing the Christian life because I owe him, right? If I'm, if, if a lot of the time we sit there and think like, why would God die for me? And what's the point of him dying for me? All of this doesn't make sense. And we, the only thing that we can say is, well, God is love and that's all that I know about it. Like there's, 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 we're not supposed to be in a place of mystery in that area. We're supposed to know why he came and see that we have a life that he's set before us and that when he's inside of us, that there's actually destiny and purpose ahead of, ahead, from when I pray that prayer, I become a Christian, there is now destiny in the rest of my life. And, and he died for, not just because, he died, he died because he was love, right? That's true. But we can't, just, we can't just say God is love, that's why he died, just because that's the right answer. He died because he could see that I had, that, I, that there's value in me when he's in me, Right? It's not just he died just because he's good, it's, which is true. He died because he sees value and potential in every single one of us. And every single one of you in this room have value and potential that is, might even be beyond what you know right now. But you have a walk ahead of you that he died for. It wasn't just he's good, I'm bad. There's unity that he wanted and he died for it so that it could be, it could, heaven could invade earth. It's more than just he's just good and I'm just bad. So much more than that. All of this stuff. When I'm waking up in the morning, like this sounds ridiculous. I'll drive to work and I'm like, I, I share this with people. They think this is hilarious. When I'm looking in the mirror, I'm, I'm literally talking to myself all the time. I've been doing this for about a year now where I'll look in the mirror and just be like, man, you carry the heart of the Father. You are the will of God. You have all this. You've been reconciled. I'll just speak to myself constantly because there's times where people aren't telling me that. I'm not going to go to work. No one's going to tell me that at work, Right? 
if I'm just sharing that with myself, how much more fruit is going to come out of that? If I'm waking up knowing that I am reconciled, that I have been given everything and that the holiness has already landed on me, how much more fun is that than waking up every morning and trying to work out how I'm going to skip sin today, how am I going to avoid sin today, and how am I supposed to get it right? It's absolutely vital, right? Because God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's, it's huge, and it's absolutely consuming. I noticed, I noticed that my, the most rewarding thing when I was in the States was seeing that Dominic was able to actually play with other kids and be a kid and know that I was going to be there tomorrow know that I was still going to be there for him and care for him when, I, when he gets back. All of this stuff, he knew after a few weeks that I would still be there and I would still love him and care for him even if I wasn't right there next to him. Truth is that God is always right there next to us and we can't afford to question that. The Bible says that he's there, so that means he's there, right? All of this stuff, it's, what, it's, more, it's, it's, it's a huge part of what the cross is for, right? He died for me. Well, I can't afford to just, we, we can't afford to think that the cross, Jesus didn't just die on the cross so that we would spell Jesus with a capital J. He died for me. It's all about bringing me back into the value of who I am and bringing me back into, into the kingdom, right? It wasn't, it, he, didn't, he didn't die on the cross just to prove how incredible and amazing he is, but he did do that in the process, right? I think I'm going to welcome the band up. It's all right. You guys have got another song. So it's all right. I'm just going to pray with you guys. And I just, want to, I just wanted to understand that we're not, we're not built to be on a bungee cord where we just only meet with God because of our mess, right? My prayer is that, we're not, is that we can know and believe that he's given us everything. He's landed that holiness on top of us. We're covered with his righteousness. And so pretty much... I'm just going to pray that over everyone in this room right now and then, and then we'll just go ahead and live it out. Father, I just want to thank you for the people in this room, God, the value and the potential that you've laid on every single person here. That you died <clears throat> for a life that they can live and a unity between you and them. That it wasn't just because you're good and we're bad, Father, that you died because the two of us together are at we are at peace, as it says in Romans 5, Father, that there is no condemnation for us. But God, you died because you see value in your kids and you see potential in all the people on the earth, Father, and that every single one of us are called to live a life with you starting today with eternal life. Eternal life, Father, is knowing you and knowing Christ. And I thank you that you will bless us with that eternal life, God, that it's, a, it is a just, it's about that unity that you want with us. I just thank you for all this, God, and you are just so amazing. In Jesus' name. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt, for that awesome word. Um, we're going to continue in a time of worship now. Uh, we're going to sing God is here. And so I invite you all to your feet. Um, <laughs>